This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. First up, I'm excited to announce that GameTech will soon be selling Woozle's Game Boy Advance HDMI kit. So this is obviously huge news because this is something a lot of us have been uh, really waiting for for a long time. They're not up for sale yet. This is just simply an interest gauge. So basically put your email address in. You'll get alerted when the product has some kind of pre-order available. But Jason's really just doing this to make sure he knows exactly how many to order for the first round. Um, But, I mean, this is turning out to be something very cool, and it should be happening very soon. Uh, Jason posted some pictures on his website of everything. Um, It's basically the same thing that you've seen before. Uh, I believe he's selling them as do-it-yourself and pre-installed kits. Um, But if you have decent soldering skills, it's not the hardest thing in the world. Uh, It's not as easy as, like, a Super Nintendo RGB mod, but it's certainly not as hard as those innovation adapters where you'd have to solder all 30 pins to the connector. At the moment, it's only going to be compatible with one type of Game Boy Advance, but compatibility is going to be uh, try to, to be expanded in the future to many different devices. But to be honest, it's my personal opinion that this is the perfect device that you would want to use. Just a beat-up old Game Boy Advance without the backlit screen. Uh, I think it's just the perfect use of an old console that might have really gotten neglected as, you know, as a result. Um, a lot more palette options, uh, a lot more stuff coming with it. Still has that awesome Super Nintendo adapter, so you could use either a SNES controller, and they are compatible with those 8-bit do uh, retro controller adapters. I still haven't still haven't tested mine, but overall, it's just exciting stuff. Um, Jason's got a video up on his channel that shows a little bit more details, and he kind of goes through the listing and explains a lot more about what the product's going to be doing. Uh, and of course, if you want to follow any of Steven's projects, go to stevensprojects.com uh, and check out his work on the Game Boy Advance adapter and some. F- projects that are, I would say, is a distant future, but he is working on a Game Gear HDMI adapter, which uh, I'm pretty sure is going to be the only way to use real Game Gear cartridges directly into HDMI. You can, of course, use the Analog NT Mini, but those are still ROMs at this point, uh, and his Neo Geo Pocket Color adapter, which I think is one of those things that is not going to sell very many because there are not many NGPs out there, but the people that do buy them are going to absolutely appreciate them because the only other option is that amazingly expensive uh, that Neo... I forgot what it was called, but a friend of mine actually is just ordering one, but uh, the the actual official kit, the K2 video kit. So exciting stuff for everybody. Um, thanks so much to, to Woozle for taking the time to make this happen. And of course, thanks to Jason from GameTech to, to working to get this product out to all of us. So uh, very exciting for anybody who's a fan of Game Boy Advance or Game Boy or Game Boy Color games. Uh, and I will be doing a full review, uh, and so will a bunch of other people that I've been talking to. I want to make sure to get this in everybody's hands so we could all have our take on it and kind of just show the world this very cool product. Um, and I also definitely want to compare it to the Game Boy interface, but I don't want to pit them against each other. I genuinely think that there's going to be a use for both. Uh, and uh, actually, there's a, a bunch of stuff coming up on that next. So with all the talk of the HDMI Game Boy Advance, I definitely want to take the time to give a short update on the Game Boy interface software. So for anybody that's new to joining us, a super quick explanation is the Game Boy interface software is a replacement for the Game Boy Player disc for the GameCube. So you still need a GameCube, the Game Boy Player hardware, as well as a way to boot homebrew, whether it's just an action replay swap disc or anything else. 
But this software is better than the original Game Boy Player software in absolutely every way. I mean, there's no reason whatsoever to use the original Game Boy Player boot disk when you, when this is available. Um, it has everything from incredibly low latency to native 240p output, as well as 480i and 480p. And Extrems, the developer, has completely rewritten the way it works. So before, there was the regular latency and ultra-low latency, and now he has a bunch of different versions. Uh, some are specifically designed for use with um, the GameCube video, GC video, or the open source scan converter. Others are really designed for speed running, and it's just, uh, I mean, it's an amazing piece of software, and I, I at some point, really want to just sit down and do a, a complete video all about it, because I'm trying to give a short two-minute explanation, and that just doesn't do it justice. I mean, just to scroll very quickly through some of these insane features, um, and one of the new features that he just released in early April was the ability the ability to record and playback movies. So with this update right here, um, speedrunners can actually not worry, worry about any capture hardware. You just plug this in, start recording, and go, and now you have the file that proves your speedrun right there recorded on the SD card. So uh, all of the features of this thing make it really incredible, and I just am a huge fan. Uh, I'm still going to keep this, and I'm still going to use Woozle's HDMI adapter. And I think for me personally, I'm going to use the Game Boy interface when I'm running on an RGB monitor or when I need some of the crazy extra features that Extremis has added. And then for just playing on a flat screen, I'm going to be using Woozle's GBA. But uh, they're both amazing solutions, and I really can't wait to do just a full video on everything because one of the first things I did when I started the, this website, Retro RGB, is to go through and find the best way to play Game Boy and Game Boy Advance games on either a monitor or a flat screen TV. And for years, I mean, four years, there was really no good way to, to do that. And now there actually is. And now there's two good ways to do that. So it's very exciting. And I'll update everybody and hopefully have a very detailed and very in-depth video and web page about both of these things coming soon. One last bit of news in the Game Boy interface. Firebrand X has just uploaded a video that details the best settings when using the Game Boy interface software in a GameCube through the OSSC upscaler. So I found it to be really helpful. Uh, I watched the whole thing this morning, and uh, I'm excited to get all this stuff hooked up and really tweak my OSSC to get a pixel-perfect Game Boy experience right through my flat screen in 720p. Um, also, there is one advantage of using analog output of GameCube as opposed to the digital HDMI. Um, if you use GC Video with HDMI output, you're limited to 480p at the moment, unless you go through another upscaler. Whereas if you use the analog output, either with the official component cables or with GC Video analog, you're actually able to run it through the OSSC and get 720p or even 1080p out of this. So it's a, a great thing to have, and a big thanks to Firebrand X for taking the time to do this. And also, Firebrand X has started a Patreon, which is great, because I really want to get more stuff in the hands of this guy, because he does great work, and he's a massive help to the whole community. And he doesn't charge for anything, any of the research that he does. Everything that he does, he either puts up on his website or now puts on YouTube. So this is definitely somebody that we should all support. I will be supporting him. Uh, in a couple of days. I refuse to even log into my Patreon account because I'm afraid it's going to turn on again. <laughs> so, sorry, FVX. I will get you at the end of this week. I promise. I just, uh, I'm, I'm so scared that it's going to, my, my Patreon's going to turn back on and charge everybody again. So, um, I will be uh, a Patreon as of probably by the time this video airs. Uh, and I hope a lot more of us are too because I think it would really just be a big help to the whole community if we supported this guy and really get behind a lot of the work he's been doing because I guarantee everybody that owns a frame meister runs his profiles and I don't even really mess with settings anymore if uh, I know that he has already owned the same equipment I just ask him what he <laughs> what he said it to so we've all been spoiled so let's take this opportunity to give back uh, so thanks so much Firebrand X and uh, hopefully we'll all jump on board and give a hand and now for some retro drama that Extron audio interface that Rene made that I had him come on last week and talk about has a mistake. <gasps>
Yeah, um, it's uh, not really that big of a deal. And if you already made yours, all you have to do is just cut these two traces right here uh, to cut the ground trace because he just populated all pins. Um, he already has updated the design on GitHub, so anybody who downloads it from this day on doesn't have to worry. Uh, and if you've already ordered a bunch, literally just slice here and here, and that's all you need to do. It is not a big deal at all. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the many reasons I always stand behind the guys from the Retro Roundtable, when somebody pointed out uh, that might be a mistake on the board, the first thing Renee did was go, Huh, I wonder if it is, and went and did the research. He didn't go, No, you can't tell me I made a mistake. I'm perfect. I make ROM carts. So, uh, yeah, I just thank you very much for, for just being the dude you always are and just being like, yep, screwed up. All you do is cut some traces. Everything's fixed. Um, I do this at my day job, too. And, uh, you know, sometimes it drives everybody nuts. But when I make mistakes, I'm the first one to jump up and be like, everybody stop. I screwed up. Because to do that, you know, it, you know you, it takes time to fix things. But to try to sweep things under the rug or to try to be like, no, it doesn't matter. It'll always come back to bite you. And then it takes forever to clean messes like that up. So let this be a lesson to all of the uh, extra sensitive developers out there who sometimes can't take criticism. Just look to the, uh, look to the Canadian cranium, the shiny chrome dome Renee, and uh, follow his lead and just say, yeah, I, I made a mistake. Here's the fix. We're out. Oh, and by the way, this is a design he put up on GitHub for free. So it's also, it's not like you could ask for your money back. <laughs> It looks like the Fail Overflow team has officially released their hack for the Nintendo Switch. So this is going to open the door for a full homebrew solution for the Switch. Uh, the first thing I'm looking forward to the most is backing up your save game files, because it's still really baffling that Nintendo didn't do that from the start. But of course, I can't wait to see what other homebrew options they put out there. I think an awesome thing would be to use the Switch as a Nintendo DS and then run a cable into the TV and have that be the main screen. I don't even know if that's possible, but now we'll know for sure um, and of course it does open the doors for piracy which uh, I really hope takes a backseat to everything else that a homebrew on the switch could open up for everybody uh, but I guess that just remains to be seen but either way I'm a fan and I'm going to buy a second switch hopefully I could find a used beat up one somewhere just maybe a console only or something um, and I'll, I'm going to hack that one because I just still am a little weary of loading homebrew on a, a console that I still use and purchase stuff on their store. So I guess we'll see when I eventually get around to it, but it's cool that it's released. The RetroArch team has just released a new version with a feature called Run-Ahead Latency Reduction, which they claim has better latency than the real hardware. So that's a pretty big claim, and I think uh, people really don't grasp what latency or lag actually is, and I really plan on doing a detailed video that shows exactly what's going on. But here's the short, short version. Uh, when you press the button on the controller to the time the character on your screen moves, that's one part of lag. Um, and when I talk about lag, I'm always, almost always describing the difference between that scenario on an old TV. So let's say Super Nintendo into an old tube TV, the amount of time from the time you press the button to the time Mario jumps in Super Mario World, that I refer to as a base of zero. It's actually not zero lag though, because it takes time for the console to process that data of the button push, integrate it into the game and make that happen on the screen. And that's the latency that they're talking about, that they're able to figure out ways to make that, uh, to kind of cut some time off of that, to make the latency of using a software emulator solution be closer to that of an actual hardware solution. What I'm talking about lag, what I'm talking about is any kind of uh, screen delay that's added over what a normal CRT experience would be. So I'm gonna just pull up random numbers here, but if at the time, on a, a CRT with a Super Nintendo, it, it takes for Mario to jump when you hit the button is, you know, 31 milliseconds. And then on a flat screen TV, it's 65 milliseconds, then that's 64 milliseconds of lag on that TV. 
It's the display lag that I'm always referencing. So I've seen a lot of articles pop up lately where people are going, wait a minute, Super Nintendo has lag by itself. That is that's not at all what I meant, and that's not at all what display lag is. But that is what the, what the RetroArch team is talking about. So it's pretty in-depth, uh, and I, you know, I don't feel like this is the right place to do an in-depth dig on this, but it's pretty interesting and something I'd like to get back to. And then with something like run-ahead latency reduction, I'd like to go back and, uh, with a slow-motion camera and do real-world tests of things like um, RetroArch in this version on a... Raspberry Pi on a very fast Linux machine and on the original hardware and see how much real-world difference we actually see on a CRT, which would be the base median of zero display lag. So I hope that wasn't too confusing, but I definitely wanted to mention it because the RetroArch team definitely has been making a lot of very cool progress in the past year, and it's really great to see software emulation go as far as it has been. The Commodore 64 Mini was recently released, and I felt like it was at least worth mentioning, because I know there's a lot of Commodore 64 fans out there. And it's a 720p HDMI outputting mini little box. The keyboard, I don't believe, works. Uh, and it comes with a bunch of games, but I think you could actually add your own ROMs as well, which is a pretty neat feature. I've heard that the controller kind of sucks, but I think you could add your own anyway, so it's not that big a deal. But I just felt like this was worth mentioning in case anybody was kind of waiting for one of these. I actually have never used a Commodore 64 before. When I was a kid, I had a TRS-80 Color Computer 2, and then a Tandy 1000, and then a bunch of IBM clones that we built just like all the other 90s nerds did. Uh, so I'd be interested to kind of dig into this and take an original one and compare it, take one game maybe and compare it to this, but overall it seems good enough in the same type of comparison that you would use the NES Mini to an actual NES, and that, you know, it's an emulator, you might notice a frame or two of lag, but it does a good enough job. But that's just what I've heard. Uh, I haven't actually used one yet, so it's still to this day I could say that I've never used any form of Commodore 64. I just felt like that was worth passing on the news for everybody in case somebody was interested. The spring update for the Xbox One includes a feature that I think is really awesome and something that we would all benefit from, and that it supposedly automatically puts your TV into game mode. So there's a few more enhancements that are included in the spring update. Um, I think they're compatible with AMD's FreeSync, uh, as well as 1440p for monitors that are kind of between 1080p and 4K. But really, it's just the automatically switching to game mode that I'm interested in, because it, I really actually wanted the opposite. I would love to have all of my current consoles into a Switch going into the Xbox One's input, and then the Xbox One going into my TV and having it always in game mode, except for when I play an Ultra HD Blu-ray. I think that would be the perfect solution, is that as soon as I do that, Xbox would automatically switch to movie mode and kind of go from there. So uh, hopefully I'll have a chance to play with that and see if I can make that happen, but... I think that would be a big deal for anybody who uses their Xbox One as a disc player as well, because that is the most annoying thing, is to get a few minutes into a movie and go, ah, you know, I know why the screen looks like that, let me put it back, and have to pause it and all that stuff. So, very cool update, and I hope it works as advertised. Otaku Store recently relisted their 3DO RGB mods on their store. I guess they were down for quite a while. Uh, and now you can get the same board-only kit that you normally would be able to buy for about 50 US dollars. And you could have the modding service done uh, for an additional about 100 US dollars. Uh, it's kind of funny because they're asking you to choose the, uh, the amplifier if you want to do the horizontal shift correction. Uh, and they're even doing the 240p service. So it's funny because they're definitely listening to the community, which is good, but they're also not giving credit to anybody that figured any of this stuff out, just like always. That board was designed on a forum years ago. They never gave credit to them. They never gave credit to the awesome people on Assembler Games that figured out the 240p thing. So I still have mixed feelings about that store. But... Uh, the good news is this version is back if you're interested. I know there are still two other versions I've been waiting to try. Um, one version, I actually have had one for a while now that I'm still waiting on <coughs> Voltar to, uh, to finish that video so we can get that out to the world. 
been a couple of months. Uh, and there's, I believe, also Dan is working on one, but I'm not sure if you put that project on hold to finish up other things. So for the 3DO fans out there, there's definitely options, and uh, there's definitely progress happening. And uh, hopefully you'll be able to get a really great RGB mod that uses 240p and has the correct settings. And hopefully you'll be able to get a mod you could rely on pretty soon. But I'll keep everybody updated on those other mods, and uh, this one right here is available for anybody interested right now. I recently mentioned a video on Gizmodo that talked about a developer that was restoring vintage computers, uh, and I actually didn't realize he already had an entire YouTube channel, the Curious Mark channel. So I wanted to share that with everybody because based on that video I watched, I want to see a lot more of this guy. And uh, thank you to Andrea Campanella for passing that along. I wouldn't have wouldn't have known that if you didn't post. So thank you. Dan just posted more pictures of his Wii HDMI progress, and things seem like they're looking pretty good. Uh, I'm pretty interested to see how this is going to work out, because I think a lot of people would really appreciate this solution, both because you could play GameCube and Wii games on it, but just overall, because Wii is such a popular console, and I think even just the ability to play it in the same resolution, 480p, but through HDMI full digital, you might not only get a small actual video quality boost, but it's just going to be more compatible and easier with all newer TVs that might not have as many analog options. Uh, or if you're just using an HDMI switch and you don't really have any component stuff. I mean, there's a million reasons why this would be great. Um, I also am really, really interested to compare the difference between a GameCube game on a GameCube with GC Video versus on this with a Wii, because there's always that debate of are some Wiis less quality than GameCubes. And then I also want to try that GameCube game on a Wii U, all of them HDMI 480p. So it's all digital output, and really just see if there's a difference, because I'm kind of interested if there's one better solution or one solution for everything. But either way, great progress, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. TCL just released pricing of their 2018 6 Series TV, and Last year, TCL had a P-Series that was pretty high quality, especially for the price, but most importantly, had less than one frame of lag and was compatible with all of the OSSC modes, including with Super Nintendo, which 5X SNES seemed to be uh, finicky on a lot of TVs. So let's hope that the new 2018 series TVs brings that compatibility with them. And I would really like to give one of these a try, because I know a few friends of mine bought their low-end TVs and found them to be low-lag and certainly good enough, uh, and certainly way better than other TVs in that price range. And a few people on the forums, uh, I believe Bon Yuki even did a review of his uh, mid-range 55-inch TCL TV last year, and he loved it. He said it compared as well at, or compared to TVs that were almost double the price. Uh, so once again, it was 650, and he said it looked better than some of the thousand-dollar and up TVs. So hopefully, if they retained all the features and just made a couple of little improvements, uh, it looks like TCL is still the brand for low-end and mid-range TVs. And uh, hopefully they'll rebrand these in Europe as well, because I believe you can only get them in the U.S. But companies like this very often base themselves out of Taiwan and China and sell in different regions under different names. So if anybody knows if the TCLs sell as something else elsewhere, please let us know. The PlayStation 2 and 3 component video cables from HD Retrovision should be in stock and for sale by the end of this month. Now, these aren't converter cables. They don't go from RGB to component. They're just straight component cables. But they're very high quality, and they're, at the very least, infinitely better than some of those generic solutions you see out there. Stee actually bought a few of those generic solutions and put them on a scope compared to these cables, and you could see a lot of lost detail. But you don't just need a scope to see the lost detail. I actually have a bunch of those cables that I've used over the years, and I think that the generic cables that people have been using using might have been contributing to the rumor that PlayStation 2 outputs much better RGB than component, because if you're using low-quality cables, that would actually always be the case. Um, I think that this is absolutely awesome for anybody who really has still 
uh, a love for the component video output. I know a lot of us, including me, did the RGB mod for your PS2 so you can get RGBS out of all resolutions and you don't need component. But for me personally, it's the opposite with PS3. I want the highest quality component solution because that's what I'm going to be pumping into my BVM, both to play 480p games and so I could watch movies in 480p on that awesome monitor. So if you're looking for a really high quality component video solution for PS2 or 3, definitely pick these up as uh, opposed to some of those generic $10 ones you see on Amazon. Just a quick intermission here. Um, I recorded everything up until now on Saturday when I had some extra time. Uh, and then on Sunday, I went to a party, and I have the most fat guy story on the planet. I was there. I wasn't, you know, I was kind of bored and, you know, a little hungry. And next thing you know, the appetizers come out. And I, ooh, food. And I ran over and grabbed a beef Wellington bite, which is like meat wrapped in, like, awesomeness. And I just grabbed it and shoved it into my big stupid face and bit in. And all of the juice inside was literally boiling. So it hit me in my front lip and burnt a hole in my fucking lip. It hurt so bad. And at first, my wife was, like, joking around, like, oh, you big baby, it's just a hot one, you know, like, I got a hot one, too. And then I'm, like, I ran into the bathroom, grabbed an ice cube, and I came back, and my whole, I looked like I got beat up by Beast. I looked like Beast punched me right in the mouth. She's like, oh, shit. So um, before I start the rest of this podcast, uh, my lip hurts and I'm probably going to be mumbling. So I just grabbed whatever liquor I happen to have. Uh, this is bullet whiskey. And, uh, you know, I'm in my apartment, so I can't I can't pour a little on, my, on the floor for my dead lip. But we're just going to do a shot and toast uh, stupidity, bad luck, and uh, feeling like I got punched in the face by beast. Ouch. That burns. Next, RetroStage released their SuperFX adapters to GitHub, which I believe are adapters that allow you to do repros of SuperFX games with obviously reprogrammable ROMs on them. Um, and this would be for a more accurate SuperFX game as opposed to using the SD to SNES, which while it's awesome, there still are a few bugs in it. But uh, it's up there for free if anybody wants to try one out. Red Guy just released another update to his SD to SNES Super FX firmware, and I finally got a chance to try it out. It actually works great for the most part, at least on the games that I tried, but I did see a few graphical glitches when Cousin Scott came over and was playing Yoshi's Island. So overall, I think he's made a tremendous amount of progress in, uh, in doing something that a lot of people didn't think could actually be done. So a big awesome thumbs up to Red Guy, and thank you so much for doing this for the community. And, uh, you know, just keep up the awesome work, man. I'm looking forward to testing any other future revisions you have, and uh, I'll go back to those same levels in Yoshi's Island and see if it does it again. All this great talk about the SD to SNES, my, one of my favorite features, of course, is the MSU1 audio. And having one repository to get all those files or to just at least reference anything that you need is absolutely essential in keeping this stuff alive. And uh, Smoke Monster just posted on Twitter that he's really been doing most of the collection work himself in that people post across different forums and he'll find all the info, uh, collect it, and then try to get it into one place for people to reference to download. And it's really starting to get overwhelming. So I would certainly like to put a call out to all of the amazing people that donate these MSU1 patches to say maybe we could just kind of pick a place and post them all there. I think at the moment, romhacking.net seems to be the perfect place for that, but maybe there's something I don't know, that, or, or an angle of this I'm not seeing, but if we could find one repository to store all of these patches, it would really make life easier for everybody. So uh, I'm going to post on the Zeldix forum and a few other places, and hopefully the, the developers that have been amazing enough to donate all of this stuff for us to use would take one extra little step and, uh, and really try to get these in one place, so that all the people who really want to play them don't have to spend hours hunting them down or more importantly so so one person doesn't have to also spend hours hunting them down so um you know uh, i'll try my best to help smoke monster at the moment i'm mostly useless sorry i'm still trying to catch back up to things but uh very soon i want to have smoke monster on to talk about all the cool stuff he's been working on and hopefully by then we'll have an update and maybe the msu1 crew will just kind of find one happy little medium and, and try storing patches in one spot a member of the Planet Virtual Boy forums has just started a Patreon for a 3DS Virtual Boy emulator that he wants to build. And uh, that's something that I've been wanting for a long time, because 
even if I just took Mario Tennis and Wario Land, I think it would be really just amazing to play those games on the 3DS. So um, I'm backing him. Uh, you know, I'm really crossing my fingers and hoping he could pull something off. And, you know, I just think that the 3DS is the perfect platform for the Virtual Boy. But uh, I'll leave it up to you guys to decide. Link is in the description. And if you feel like that, then uh, maybe donate a dollar a month to the Patreon, and hopefully enough of us can make a difference. Some more news from the Planet Virtual Boy forums. The user Mellet announced that he's creating a Virtual Boy ROM cart. Now, there's already one out there made by Richard Hutchinson, I believe, and while it works great, you can only load one ROM at a time, so you always have to have it connected to your PC with a USB cable to load ROMs. You don't have to leave it connected to use it, but just to load the ROMs. Um, you can't back up save game files, so uh, even if loading one ROM at a time doesn't bother you, if you're playing through Wario Land and then want to switch to Mario Tennis, there's no way to back up your saves, it just loses it. And it can't run some of the bigger homebrew games like Street Fighter. So if Mellet is able to come up with just a standard SD flash cart solution where you could just drop in a micro SD and load the ROM set and load larger ROMs like Street Fighter, then we might have one more step towards uh, having the whole Virtual Boy experience a little bit easier. So, um, you know... One point I want to make that's always very important to me is sometimes it's hard to complement one thing without accidentally shitting on the other. And bands go through this all the time. They get a new member and they're like, yeah, it's the best drummer I've ever seen. And somebody inevitably goes, oh, so your last drummer wasn't that good? Like, it's not at all what I mean. It's usually not what they mean. Um, I'm a fan of Richard's. I have a bunch of his ROM carts and I'm really happy that he continues to sell those and helps the community. So I'm by no means shitting on his design. I'm just saying... Uh, I'm always up for new features, and if Richard builds his own version of this, I'll probably buy one of each and uh, keep my favorite and give the other one to Scott. And one last little bit of Virtual Boy news. It looks like another homebrew game is about to be released. Uh, Weltenschlatter? I'm sorry, I probably murdered that pronunciation, but uh, it's a game that was already released um, on the Lynx, and the developers now ported it over to Virtual Boy, and it looks like a fun little space shooter. So uh, I, I really enjoy stuff like this. There's been so much homebrew over the years for different consoles that really is just fun games, ranging from stuff like this, where you just you know kill a couple minutes shooting stuff, old-school Atari style, all the way up to some pretty lengthy and in-depth amazing homebrews. So keep them coming. This is amazing stuff. Someone on Atari Age has just posted their design for an open-source Atari 2600 ROM cart. And while I've played the Harmony cart before, and it seems to be fine, I love open-source and I always love choices. So definitely, for any fans of the 2600 that love do-it-yourself uh, crazy tinkering projects such as this one, I definitely recommend going to the GitHub and taking a look and see if it's something that's that you'd be into. But... You know, thanks very much to the developer for posting this open source, and now we all have another choice. While this might not be as exciting as an open source ROM cart, another user on the Atari Age forums has posted an Atari 2600 owner's manual from 1977. And there were a few different manuals online already, but this one's a great quality scan, and this particular manual had never been scanned before. So while it doesn't seem as important as archiving actual technical data and uh, service manuals, just having like a basic owner's manual seems pretty awesome, and it really is I don't want to say a super important part of history, but something that it's really great to have. And especially with technology the way it is today and how easy it is to scan things, if there's anything missing like this that you happen to have one of, I definitely recommend just scanning it and uploading it somewhere because it's really great that we get to have a repository of stuff like this. And I bet a lot of classic car enthusiasts would have killed for stuff like this in the 80s while trying to find info on old cars. So now that we finally have the ability to archive the information that we're going to need, let's all do it. So thanks for everybody who does this stuff, and uh, keep it up, please. While I was catching up on what I've been missing while I was gone, I noticed there was an update to the OSSC Wolf Edition, which is Becker's take on the open source scan converter. And he basically scrapped his original design, and now he's working on something that's basically a motherboard and daughterboard scenario, where there's the main uh, OSSC Wolf, which has all the digital stuff on it and all of the main parts, and then he's going to start to create daughterboards so that you could add functionality as you go. Um, and I, I like this idea, and I always like when there's different takes on the same idea, different choices out there. 
I think your average person would just like the OSSE the way it is, but there's a lot of people out there, myself included, who would really benefit from having a module daughter card so that I can add different things as I need them. Maybe do a composite or S-video board and, you know, who knows what else we could figure out. Maybe even an HDMI inboard or a DVI in to get rid of the licensing issues. But, you know, I think the OSSC in its current form could definitely upscale 480p HDMI, even if it's just the line double. So... Who knows? Uh, the possibilities are endless, but I'll keep everybody updated as this project uh, kind of comes to light. This was a while back that this happened, I think early March, but I'm just trying to catch up with everything I've missed, so I figured I'd let everybody know. So I'm kind of excited that next I get to give everybody a bit of a sneak preview of something. Uh, a while back, Mike Chi posted a video of his RetroTink 2X on YouTube, and then when I reached out to him and let him know I'm back and I'm trying to catch up with everything I missed, he actually sent me one. So I just got it. I'm still swamped and catching up. Uh, June. I'll be back full-time in June, but um, I haven't even powered this thing on yet. So right now I'll just kind of tell everybody the, the basics of it, and I'm going to be doing a, a really in-depth full review of this soon. So it does either pass-through or line doubling of composite video, S-video, and component video sources. Those are just the audio inputs here and it digitizes it to HDMI. So the very first thing I'll be using this for, me personally, is composite video capture. Because every device I have ever used, every capture device, interprets composite video 240p as 480i. A lot of TVs do that too, but a lot of capture cards. So right now, finally, I'm able to have a solution where I can capture composite and S-video converted just to digital to go into my Epifan and Datapath capture cards where I'll be able to get a really high quality capture of this in the true resolution. But this of course could be used with uh, just line doubling stuff into 480p into your TV. Um, it has component video so this is certainly a cheap line doubler if you're looking to do things like take your Super Nintendo with your HD retrovision cables into this onto a TV. Uh, but the other thing that I think is cool is Mike has tested it with a few HDMI to VGA adapters. And you can get really high quality ones of these for cheap, like $20 cheap. So right now, if you have a very high quality VGA monitor, kind of like uh, anybody that's been, been to iFix Arcade lately has seen Jose's Samsung VGA monitor there, which is amazing looking. You could just sit, take a setup like this, and now you're able to stick your old consoles, uh, composite, S-video, and component directly into a VGA monitor, and it would work fine. So uh, I can't wait to do a full in-depth review of this thing. Um, I'm going to beat the heck out of it, because I could think just off the top of my head like 10 reasons why I would want one of these. <laughs> Even if it is just for testing, streaming, and capture, it's still something that I would need. So please look tuned for this review. I'll let everybody know when it's out. And uh, I don't think they're officially up for sale yet, but I'll definitely let everybody know when they are. And uh, thanks again to Mike for letting me play with this one, man. I can't wait to plug it in and, and really hit it hard. It looks like there's been some more progress on forcing 240p mode in a 3DO. Samson 7.1 posted that he found another trick to keep games in 240p mode, which for me personally in the games that I would play, I would rather have it default to 240p and then let me switch it over to 480i whenever I wanted. Um, I'm sure other people have different opinions, and I'm sure it depends on the different games that you play, but it just, you know, it seems like more progress, uh, and hopefully there's going to be some more 3DO announcements soon. I know I just talked about the Otaku Store stuff going back up for sale, but um, hopefully, hopefully we'll have some more solid solutions for, for 3DO, and I'll be able to announce something pretty neat. I know it's only the 3DO, but there are still a few good games on there. I just saw a post about something called the HU Debug, which is a hue card that lets you to play CD games on the TurboGrafx-16 and PC Engine. So me, personally, this would be my preferred choice, just to have one hue card that has all the ROMs and all the CD games on it ready to go that I could plug into any one of my devices. So of course, the portable system shown in this video, but this would be compatible with absolutely everything, including the duos. Uh, so um, no news, no release dates or price or anything like that, but uh, I think I'm going to have to invest in one of these when it comes out, because just having one card that does it all would be pretty amazing, and I'm really interested to see you know, all of the extra details on this. 
Ben Heck just posted a teardown of the Sega Saturn, and it's kind of cool just to see another take on the console, and especially from somebody like Ben Heck, who has a ton of followers, because I really like the fact that these older consoles start to get more exposure, because the more people that are turned on to this stuff, the more realize they either want to rediscover things from their childhood, or just discover awesome old tech for the first time. So, um, yeah, regardless of what you think of Ben Heck, it's very cool to see the Saturn get more exposure. If anybody's in Brooklyn this Saturday, definitely swing by iFix Arcade. Uh, they're having another arcade tournament hosted by Beast, and I think they're doing Street Fighter 2, Street Fighter 3, and a couple of others. Um, and I'm definitely going to stop by. It's Cinco de Mayo, it's this tournament, and uh, one, of my, one of the most fun bands you'll ever see, Tear, is actually playing at the Knitting Factory, the same place that I played a couple years ago. And uh, so, yeah, I'm going to absolutely be making my rounds of all this stuff on Saturday. I'm going to be uh, going to swing by the office to clear out some stuff. I'm going to go hit up Cinco de Mayo, and then I'm absolutely, definitely going to swing by iFix Arcade, and at least, if nothing else, just swing by with a case of beer, uh, you know, say hi to everybody, and maybe lend a hand wherever I can. And then at the end of the night, because they're the closing band, I'm going to head over and watch Tear and hold my heathen hammer high. <laughs> Fucking love those guys. Atari just announced the pre-orders for their VCS console go on sale May 30th, but they're not going to get shipped to people until 2019. So I kind of get a bad feeling about this. I hope I'm wrong, but I don't know. I just, I'm not going to be backing it. I'm going to wait to see what happens when it comes out. Uh, and just for the record, a little pet peeve. The subtitle of this article says, 4K HDR at 60 frames per second seems a bit overkill for playing Asteroids. Well, I hope all the nerds watching this are cringing as hard as I did when I read that, because it has nothing to do with playing Asteroids in 4K. It has to do with matching the native resolution of the panel that you're playing it on. So if you have a cheap TCL TV, one of the lower-end ones, you still might be able to benefit from extremely low lag, but if you don't present the game in the native format of the panel, you have to rely on that TV's upscaler, and while I'm not shitting on TCL for this, if you buy a $300 50-inch TV that's very good quality, you should not expect the electronics in it to do anything magical. You should have realistic expectations, and this is the scenario in which this is the you know the perfect time to have 4K upscalers, 4K consoles, because just run everything in the native resolution of the panel and don't let it elect its electronics have to do any scaling. So... Sorry for the little rant there, but that always bothers me a lot when people say things like, well, who really needs Super Mario in 4K? There's a lot of reasons for it that have nothing to do with wanting a 4K 8-bit experience. But I really hope these bigger, bigger publications like Engadget will start to get a little better about stuff like this. Dujan Dance just posted a video where he mounted a board to the top of a DIN 8 connector and was able to really clean up a lot of the work involved in a lot of the wiring in the PC Engine Duo RGB mods. And I love this for two reasons. Um, first of all, I always love when people do this. I've seen a bunch of people take the Mini Din 8s, flip them upside down, and then uh, I think one person had a board that slid on top. Great idea to make it easier and cleaner. But I also love how much better Dujan Dance's modding's gotten. So um, just kudos to him for making great progress and uh, also coming up with a cool design. I talked about this next thing back in January, but I wanted to revisit it just because I was going through old notes and trying to catch up, and I realized I hadn't seen any further work on it. So Chris Covell found out that Hyperzone on the SNES has a hidden 3D mode, and that you could also work with the Famicom 3D glasses. So I think that's incredible. Anybody that's played any of the good 3D games from back then know how cool they can be. Like, Missile Defense is still my favorite, shooting 3D missiles, you know, with a light gun on a CRT. But Maze Hunter is pretty amazing, and there's a couple others that are at least worth your time. Uh, and I think that I would love the ability to try this, but... The problem is, a lot of these kits, especially the Sega 3D kit and the Famicom one, are hard to come by, they're hard to make work on your console, so I'd really like to, to put the call out there for anybody that, um, that might already be in the midst of working on a project like this, but I would love to see like a, a universal, if it's even possible, some kind of thing where you have 
you know, you could just plug in the 3.5 millimeter, the same as the headphones, but the regular glasses, the active shutter glasses, and then you have the ability to plug it into a Master System or a NES, uh, NES or Famicom, and I guess now a Super Nintendo because of this awesomeness. So if anybody's in the midst of working on anything like that, please let me know because I just... There are so many little things that are very quickly getting lost to the world, and I think some of these old 3D games are, I hate to use the words, but really genuinely are hidden gems. And I think anybody that sat on a good quality RGB monitor and played Space Harrier 3D on the Master System just goes, like, wow, this could have been, you know, if they kept this up, this could have been amazing, and it's a fun thing to experience. So anybody working on this stuff, please let me know. Darksoft just posted a fix for anybody who is having trouble with his ROM cart and the MVS, MV1F, and MV1FS motherboards. So it's just a very quick thing where all you have to do is just uh, sever a trace on the ROM cart itself. Um, and if anybody wants very detailed info, I'll leave links to everything down below. But overall, it seems like a pretty easy and uh, reversible thing to do. Um, I can't tell just by the picture, but it's, they're saying cut a trace, but it looks like maybe you might even be able to just remove that one resistor, making it very easily reversible. I don't know, I would, uh, I don't, my MVS doesn't have these issues, so I definitely recommend reading through the forum posts, and Darksoft is really responsive on there as well, if anybody has any questions, but it seems like an incredibly easy fix to add pretty awesome functionality to your MVS, so if you already own his cart and these motherboards, don't worry, you're in luck, it's a super easy fix, and you don't have to worry about anything. I'll try to keep my opinions towards the end for this one, but... I Am 8-Bit is releasing 30th Anniversary Editions of Mega Man X for the SNES and Mega Man 2 for the NES. Um, they're $100 each, and they're basically official complete-in-box repros that are stamped 30th Anniversary but are otherwise the same. Um, I have no idea about the PCB quality, about the actual cartridge pins, or about the voltage or anything else. I don't know if they're great quality or not, but... I just, I can't get behind stuff like this. And people get so pissed off at me when I say these things, but I cannot fathom paying $100 for each of these for a complete inbox repros of something that you could already get. This isn't a rare game that's impossible to find. This isn't something that wasn't available in one region. Like, I still can't fathom why they wouldn't do the Mega Man Wily Wars for Genesis, but region-free and, you know, choose your box art and stuff like that. I would buy one of those in a heartbeat, an officially licensed anniversary of that or something. But these are two games, like, you could already get Mega Man X complete in box for a hundred or less, um, you could get Mega Man 2 complete in box for just over 100, and these are original things, and I do understand the nostalgia factor. What if Mega Man 2 is your favorite game, and what if you were like me and were completely OCD as a kid and used to open your boxes with my Swiss Army knife, and that, you know, that way the, the uh, cellophane would still be perfect shaped so you could hang the boxes on the wall and still play the game. Like, there's a bunch of weirdos like me out there that love stuff like this, and I ended up having to get rid of my crap when, you know, in my mid-twenties or something, and I wish I had it back, and if I had the room and space to, to actually collect things like this, I would want complete in box of my favorite games. But I would want the originals. I just, I can't... I, maybe I'm wrong. I've been wrong a lot, but maybe I'm wrong. I just can't understand the need for $100. And what if what if you don't have all this extra cash to throw around? Because I'm sure I am 8-bit is really just banking on all the people in their mid to late 30s with, you know, disposable incomes and a lot of cash. Like what if what if you're not the rich guy? What if you have you've been saving your money and you have a choice and you're like, "Man, I love Mega Man X and I love Mega Man 2 and I'd love to have these things." But I'd also love a Super NT, so I could either spend 200 bucks on that or I could spend 240 on a Super NT. What are you going to choose? So I just, I don't get it. I don't, it's not for me. I'm never buying one of these things. It's the same game as before. There's no extra features. It's just what I feel like is a cash grab that's taking advantage of people who are older and can afford extra things like this just for the hell of it. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. If you work for I Am 8-Bit and you want to talk to me about this, I'd love to... I would love to do an interview 
to have you prove me wrong. I would love to be find out that I was missing a side of this that I didn't understand, that uh, maybe there's something cool about this that uh, I just am not quite grasping, but all I see right there is something that doesn't quite count as nostalgia because it's not the original. While it's an anniversary edition, you don't get anything extra, and I'd rather spend my 200 bucks on a lot of other things. You know, save up a little longer and get a scope. Hey. Sony just announced that a bunch of PlayStation 2 games are now being added to the PS Now library. So that's pretty awesome news uh, either way. Maybe you weren't subscribing to PlayStation Now yet, but now you want to play all these games for, I don't want to say for free because you have to pay for PlayStation Now, but for no added cost. Uh, or maybe you already are a subscriber and now you do just get these games included. But um, there's a list of games down here. Ape Escape, Dark Cloud, Hot Shots Tennis, Limbo, Metal Slug 3, Mystery Chronicles, Cinemora EX, Siren, and The Last Blade 2. So uh, I think they're going to be adding more. This is a great start. And uh, unlike the last thing I just talked about, this is the exact opposite. This does not feel like a cash grab. This feels like Sony went, well, we're done selling these games individually or, you know, we haven't planned to, so maybe this will either entice new people to join or make our current subscribers even happier. But either way, this feels pretty cool. This feels like a great retro throwback as well as a way to play some very cool games uh, in your already existing membership. Okay, time for the Patreon giveaway of the Super Retron HD. So I went on my rant last week, but I'll just skip to the end and say I think that um, while I wouldn't recommend this as your only Super Nintendo, um, I think that if you either made it uh, your secondary, or if you used it for streaming, or if uh, maybe you just wanted to buy something to hold you off until you could afford a Super NT, um, I think they're great for all of those reasons, especially for streaming. That is my favorite. And I also want to say a huge, huge thank you to Chris Galizzi of Hyperkin for donating these things. Um, you know, I offered to send these back after he sent them to me, and he said, you know, no, do what you want with them. So I told him that I was going to be using these as Patreon giveaways, and he, he liked that idea. So um, thank you very much to Chris and Hyperkin for helping the channel. And, you know, while their products aren't for, uh, for super picky enthusiasts, they do have their place. Um, so, here we go. Uh, if you haven't been around for one of these before, uh, I'll put a link to the video on how I do these, but all the names are in the spin wheel. Um, I counted three times to make sure that they're all the exact names. And here we go. Tyler Kessler. So Tyler, you're the winner of a Super Retron HD. Uh, I hope you like it. I hope you try streaming with it because I really do think that that's perfect use for it. And stay tuned next week for more. I'm going to be doing uh, a giveaway and an announcement and a drawing every week till pretty much the first week of June so that I'm all caught up and so that I could uh, make up for accidentally charging everybody last month. I checked, I think... I think we were cool for May. I think it stayed off, and I don't think anybody got charged. I won't know until probably the night or the night after that this uh, podcast airs. But stay tuned next week. I'm going to have kind of a fun one. Um, but hopefully at least somebody still wants it. But uh, uh, thanks very much to Tyler for being a Patreon supporter. Thanks again to Chris and Hyperkin for donating this. And um, I will see you next week for the next one. That was a lot of stuff to catch up on. I hope that wasn't too long for everybody, but I never planned the length of these. I've had a few weeks that were like 20 minutes long just because that's all there was to talk about, and there just so happened to be a lot of stuff that I was catching up on and a lot of stuff to talk about this week. Um, I don't know how it's going to be next week because I'm trying to catch up with other people that have been working in the scene that I haven't really had time to catch up with. There's still so much I want to do, but I'm just not going to have time till the end of this month, pretty much. But uh, I'm really looking forward to just hitting the ground running and having some fun with this. So thank you very much for all your help and support. Thank you to all the Patreons, of course. Uh, and I'm, I'm just looking forward to seeing where else this channel can grow to. So thanks again, and I'll see you guys next time.